June 28, 1998. The World Wrestling Federation is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Mick Foley, a.k.a. Cactus Jack, a.k.a. Dude Love, a.k.a. Mrs. Foley's Baby Boy, is preparing to face the demon from Death Valley, the Lord of Darkness, the dead man himself, in a 16-foot high steel cage match. This is the story of Mankind versus The Undertaker, Hell in a Cell. Here's Mick Foley in his own words. After watching the first ever cell match between Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker, I realized I was in a terrible predicament to even try to approach the level that uh, they had reached was going to be very difficult. Foley was unsure he could improve on The Undertaker's already famous first Hell in a Cell bout. If we can do something special, if we can start a match in a way that no one ever has, maybe we can fool people into thinking we're having a great match. So how does the 287-pound Mick Foley decide to start the match? What's he doing? Well, he's trying to get up to the top of the cage. Well, I'd see that, but for what? I, well, he's not very logical. I mean, I, he needs therapy. The Undertaker. All 328 pounds of them makes a slow death march to the ring. Mankind with a steel chair on top of the cell. Wait a minute. Do you, do you think he's daring the Undertaker to start this match up there? And apparently, Hell in the Cell match is officially underway in the most god awful of locations. What you just heard was the sound of Mankind beating the Undertaker across the back with a steel chair. So how does Taker fight back? He throws Mankind off the top of the cage. Mick Foley flew more than 16 feet in front of a stunned audience and crashed through a table. He laid motionless for almost a minute. Referees couldn't get to him because they were inside the steel cage. Eventually, staff and medical professionals surround mankind. He comes to, but has a dislocated shoulder and a world-class concussion. Foley is stabilized on a stretcher. Well, Vince McMahon is out here, Commissioner Slaughter. Folks, we apologize. This match has stopped dead in its tracks. Mick is wheeled back up the ramp with the house lights now on. The Undertaker climbs down off the cage. This match is maybe over, I'm telling you. The packed arena is saddened, worried, and confused when all of a sudden, the stretcher stops. There's a brief commotion, and then... Look, look! And look at You're kidding in the hell is he standing? Mick Foley has gotten off the stretcher, and he's fighting through WWF officials to get back to the ring. Oh, my God. An exhausted, injured, concussed Mick Foley struggles up the cage, and The Undertaker goes to work again, a headbutt, a right hand, and moments after rolling off the stretcher and climbing 16 feet in the air, The Undertaker grabs Mankind and choke slams him on top of the cage. But the fencing breaks, and Mick Foley falls 16 feet again, crashing to the ring below him. <laughs>
steel chair that Mick brought to the match and used on top of the cage followed his body through the fence and landed on Mick's jaw, busting his front teeth and knocking him unconscious again. His body is surrounded by zip ties that were meant to keep the cage intact. Staffers, referees, and medical professionals pour into the ring to check on Foley. He is alive, but not well. The poor son of a, he's broken in half! Mick Foley, mankind, rises from the dead one last time and continues the match for almost another 10 minutes. Twice being slammed into thumbtacks, Foley himself spread on the ring mat. The match mercifully ends when The Undertaker hits Mankind with his patented finishing move, the Tombstone Piledriver, slamming Foley into the mat one last time. The Undertaker is your winner, and Mick Foley is your legend. This is First Ballot. Welcome to First Ballot. I'm your host, Neil, the long-lost Gasol brother, coming to you live from the Shaquille O'Neal big and tall executive desk chair. The 1998 Hell in a Cell match between Mick Foley and The Undertaker is truly a legendary moment in wrestling and sport, but is it a First Ballot Hall of Famer? We will answer that today, and here to help me do it is one of my favorite writers. He's both impossibly funny and incredibly thought-provoking. I'm genuinely, truly so glad he's here to do it with me, Mr. Solomon Missouri. Solomon, thanks so much for being on the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Right off the bat, and I discussed this with you when I DM'd you about being on the show, but your real government name is Solomon Missouri. Is that correct? Solomon Missouri is my government name from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. My God, good luck beating that, losers. There's never going to be a better name on this show than Solomon Missouri fantastic god bless your folks thank you all right now let's table set solomon favorite sport favorite team favorite athlete okay so um my favorite sport let me see um okay so specifically because i'm from tuscaloosa alabama my favorite sport is university of alabama football got it okay um my favorite athlete probably of all time. Mm. And he is a person that I grew up watching was probably George T. He was a, yes. um, oh, yeah. what an answer. He was like a, he was like a safety. cornerback safety yes. from University of Alabama. Yes. And you remember in 1992, I think we were playing the University of Miami. Mm-hmm. National championship. Yeah. National championship. That's right. He ran down the, I want to say the wide receiver, from like he was about 20 yards out. Yes. He took the ball. Yes. And then he, you know, kind of stripped it out of his hands. Yeah. George T uh was my favorite, oh. my favorite uh athlete of all time. He I, didn't have a, you know, a phenomenal professional career. Right. But his college career was uh, splendor. Uh, what a what a fantastic answer. I love how this is starting. I already feel like I know a lot about you. George Teague, what a great answer. I remember it vividly, that national championship moment. Fantastic right. answer. Great answer. Okay. 
Solomon, I think of you as someone who I enjoy, someone who I race online to see what you've said about a certain topic. Mm-hmm. But in preparing for this podcast, I also found out you are a reverend. Yes, I am a pastor. I've been um, in ministry since I was 16 years old, and um, I celebrate this year 23 years in ministry. So Good for you. Yeah, thank you. What is the difference between reverend and pastor? Are those words interchangeable? Um, A pastor is a reverend, in some cases a reverend, who uh, has a a station or a uh, church for ministry. Got it. Uh, And so you, uh, it is possible for you to have reverends who are in your church or in your uh, congregation, but not the pastor. Got it. Uh, The pastor is, yes, is is someone who uh, may be in charge or have a leadership position uh, in the church. Got it. Pastor Solomon, Missouri. I mean, that is some kind of title. That's fantastic. Uh, Pastor, thank you for being on the Soulless Podcast. The reason some of you may know Solomon, Missouri, is because, Pastor, you went hyper viral on what I believe to be one of the greatest Twitter threads in the history of that awful website. (laughs) You retweeted a story about uh, Del Curry, Steph Curry's father, and his mother, Sonia, having some issues and trouble, and you did a full thread about it. Tell me what that experience was like going viral in that moment. Um, hmm. So as a person who kind of exists in a social media landscape and environment where people talk about dating, people talk about relationships, and they talk about like the subsequent consequences of those things, mm-hmm. um, I, I think that we are, we've inherited like, a conception of um, what dating looks like now mm-hmm. and what dating should look like. And a lot of it is um, informed by uh, anxiety, mm-hmm. um, a lack of transparency and truthfulness. And so, um, you know, people who are in relationships for a long time, they kind of, uh, you know, dreamscape uh, what it would be like right. if, you know, I, I left this relationship and, uh, you know, uh, tried my hand at another relationship. And so what I wanted to do um, is almost um, like a V for Vendetta type of appeal <laughs> when it came to a relationship. Because, you know, everybody, you know, talks about how, uh, you know, the grass is green on the other side. Right. I wanted to paint uh, the most like you know like uh, the the lady from Glee says I'm going to create an environment so toxic I wanted to create uh, an alternative reality that was so toxic so fraught uh, that it would uh, in uh, create fear in the hearts of men of uh, all around the world uh, so that they might say. The person that I am partnered with, I need to dig in and do better work right. in loving them intentionally right. um, and in purpose. And the other part about it is I've been married and I've had a divorce. I know what it is to date in this landscape. And mm. so um, it can be difficult. And so I want you know people to kind of understand and you know catch a hold to the idea that sometimes uh, a greater work, especially for guys, like because sometimes we just put things on cruise control and we... Um, you know, we just take our hands off the wheel and hope for the best, but, right. um, the work of relationships is labor. Yes. And so we need to make sure that if we want to have successful relationships that we, 
um, dig in and do the labor. So that's what I wanted to do. Listen, you just heard everything you need to hear. If you're listening to the show, you just you just heard everything you need to hear to follow this man at Solomon, Missouri. Truly a fantastic follow. I feel I feel better having followed you. One of the rare people I can say that about in social media. <laughs> that very very giving, very generous answer that you just gave. Would you agree to share one more thing? Would you read your famous Twitter thread? Each of the tweets, would you read that live on first ballot for the first time ever? All right. This is the first time that I've ever done oh this. My um, God. No one else has recorded my my voice um, when it comes to reading my own tweets. I'll do this uh, as a favor for you. Um, this, this is, is one time and one time only. I'm right. so happy. So you want me to read all of these? I Please, my God, please. There are so many. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Here we go. You ready? Yes, please. All right. So. Um, the original post said Dale Curry and Sonya Curry to divorce after 30 years of marriage. Uh, my first tweet said, but <laughs> let me tell y'all something. You won't be out here. You think you want to be out here because you're not out here. But when you get out here, you ain't going to want to be out here no more. <laughs> Last time you out here, out here was different. different. <laughs> you think it's something better? I come to let you know. The best you're going to get, what you already got. <laughs> I don't know why you don't want to do the work. You're going to come out here and you ain't going to like it. <laughs> All they do is start podcasts and talk about plate fixing. <laughs> 14 minutes me out here, you're going to start saying these females. <laughs> if you can make it work, do so. You don't want to be out here learning TikTok dances and falling off milk crates. <laughs> Love the wife of your youth. Love it. But they want rounds out here. You better pray about it. You think it's a game till you're in the middle of 60,000 people in a panty and she pointing her finger at you all hard rapping flow Millie lyrics. Do you like turmeric? Charcoal ice cream? You better learn to like it. You don't know nothing about Sneaky Link. Now you're knocking on the door of a 22-year-old with three other roommates because you got a side pee. You're going to be wearing a hottie t-shirt by Thanksgiving. You better ask your wife to forgive you. You better pray and go listen to Lemonade. You don't have the cholesterol to be out here. <laughs> they not eating butter pecan no more. Bluebell ain't out here. You can be chasing Cialis with Red Bull. Do you know what group chat is? You better learn. You should be the subject. Do you know how to make a mimosa? Tulum? These people are 60% crab leg, 30% iced coffee, and 10% vape pen. Beloved, whatever went wrong, go back and make it right. They pegging out here. <laughs> I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to prepare you. These people are children of Rihanna, born in the fires of chaos. <laughs> you ready to leave your wife for 30 years till you wake up and your body is surrounded by rose quartz and moon water. <laughs> my message is simple, Dale Curry. Go and be a family man. Oh, my God. I, I It's really just... I Thank can't you. even... <laughs> I... <laughs> It's 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 not just what you wrote. It's where you chose to break them up. It's mm -hmm. the word choice. To me, if I may, for just a moment, butter pecan 
and, <laughs> and children of Rihanna born in the fires of chaos. Those are exquisite. Mm-hmm. Exquisite. That was so much fun. That's why a lot of people know you, but they should follow you immediately. He is, he does this. And that's the other thing is you rip these off all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have a lot to say. And apparently Twitter is a place that I'm going to say Ugh. it. So here we go. That yeah. was, I genuinely have tears on my face. Hearing you read those was electric. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I think it's helpful because uh, once people know that I'm, I am Southern and um, I do have a pretty significant dialect, a, a drawl. Um, you know, it kind of helps you um, hear my voice yes, a little better. A hundred percent. It's just fantastic. I'm elated that you did that. Solomon, let's dive into our moment. To decide whether a moment makes the first ballot Hall of Fame, we have to go through our Hall of Fame credentials. Those are the categories by which we judge a moment's greatness. We're talking about the Hell in the Cell, 1998. The first credential, analytics. People are obsessed with stats today. What mm-hmm. are the stats that make this moment special? Solomon, let me throw some stats at you and then get your reaction afterwards. Okay. 16 feet, that's the distance from the top of the cage to the mat. One concussion, although I don't know how you don't consider it two concussions on both of those impacts. I guess you you have to say you can't have the second concussion because he's already been concussed. Mm-hmm. One dislocated shoulder, one dislocated jaw, which was reset during the match, bruised ribs, internal bleeding, puncture wounds, and several teeth either knocked out or loosened. In terms of the puncture wounds, twice onto his back into the thumbtacks, one slam, one choke slam. One of my favorite parts of the match is as Mick is on Taker's back and Taker throws himself back to slam Mick into the thumbtacks, it looks as though Taker has positioned himself in a way that Mick will not fall into the heart, the center of these thumbtacks, which seems like a kind gesture. What does Mick do? He hits the mat and then rolls into the thick of the pile. He's absolutely a maniac. 97 seconds. Here's another stat. 97 seconds from the start of the match until the moment Mick Foley is thrown off of the cage 22 feet to the floor. 43 seconds from the time Mick Foley stands up off the stretcher in the middle of the uh, aisle going backstage. It's the first time this man has stood in six minutes from the first impact. 43 seconds after standing up, he is choke slammed through the cage, falling 16 more feet, and knocking himself unconscious. 17 minute and 45 second match. Solomon, your thoughts on all of those statistics? I mean, it's amazing. Um, you know, you're talking Undertaker at the peak, peak. of like, you know, his uh his working ability. Um, and then you just consider like that we had not seen right. those type of spots outside of maybe Japan. Right. And then even in Japan, they don't, they don't use the, like the cage. Right. I mean, even at ECW where they would, you know, jump off of um, like the balcony, uh, you know, like guys like New Jack and Sabu and so forth and so on. Um, I mean, you, you just did not see that level of um, commitment to theme. I mean, just the idea of getting back up. Right. And coming back to the ring. Like, he could have stopped. A hundred percent. Like, he actually could have, they, they could have, I mean, he his shoulder was already dislocated when he was actually, like, on the stretcher. 
Everyone assumed the match was over. Right. I assumed the match was over. Yes. Right. I remember I was maybe in eighth grade, ninth grade, maybe when when they, when, we, when they had this match and so this was like like prime WWE this was like right in the middle of the attitude area era once you saw him fall off of the top of the cage right like so that's the first bump first like the the first bump is him falling off of the top of the cage then you're like so he goes through the table off of the side like the announce table and you're just looking like you know what's going on with this or whatever uh, is he okay right because it's like you can't. It's a lot of things in wrestling that you can, that's that are like in kayfabe, right? Right. But you can't. It's a shoot when you fall off the top of anything. That's right. That's right. Right. So we're wondering, like, if, if he's okay. Like, I'm thinking this man is dead. Yeah. Right. We we just saw a murder. <laughs> um, and so when he's when he actually starts moving, and I think that there was um, who was next to him? Who was next to him? Who was next to him? Terry, Terry Funk. Funk. That's right. Terry Funk. That's right. Was like right next to him and checking on him, like like in the midst of it all or whatever. And so you know, I'm thinking like Terry Funk just saw his like one of his friends die. That's right. Right. Uh, and so all of those things kind of put it on the path of being immortalized. Yes. But then when he's going back, he gets off <sighs> of the stretcher, which is a like totally chaotic thing to do. Right. <laughs> it's crazy. It becomes another type. That's when Mick Foley becomes immortalized, right? That. His entire body of work is synthesized in that moment. Oh, I love so, it. So, like, we become um, uh, enveloped in the flow of Mick Foley's work right. from that point back. Oh. So, if you take that moment and go back and you say, okay, this is what makes Mick Foley one of the greatest workers ever to have graced a pair of boots. Um, I, I just literally couldn't believe it. I mean, you nailed it. You're so good at this podcast. Th- that was fantastic. I remember reading Watchmen. And I remember being like, okay, well, okay. And I liked, my brother was like, what did you think? And I was like, it's it's good. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you didn't love it? And I was like, yeah, I mean, no, it's good. It's it's good. And I was like, what's the big deal? With, I, don't, I don't get it. And my brother was like, you know, you're not understanding. There were no antiheroes before this. Like it didn't exist. And in in watching this match, it sort of it. I didn't realize that this is the first time someone leaping off of a cage. It's the first time anyone had seen this. And it's hard now, as we stand now, to remember a moment where someone had not done this. But that's the first time anyone had ever seen mm-hmm. anything like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what's so um like awe-inspiring about that moment is when you think about what it is that Mick Foley is doing in character, Mm. right? He's embodying the conception of monsters. Right. Right? And so he loses the idea of pain. Mm. He falls off of, like, the, 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 the cell and Monsters just don't stay down. Right. Oh right. So in any monsters, you know, like in mythology or in comic books or in um like you know, or movies, right? One of the ideas is that they keep coming. Jason Voorhees right. keeps coming, right? right. Freddy Krueger keeps coming. Um oh. uh what what is the guy in the Hellraiser movies, right? He just Pinhead. He, right, Pinhead yes. just keeps coming. That's right. Uh, and so um we see that 
Mick Foley is embodying these ideas of what it means. This is, I mean, this is like next level character work. Mm. He already has a dislocated <laughs> shoulder. His jaw is already popped out of place, mm. right? But because he's a monster, he can't stay down. Ugh. So the Undertaker has to become a greater monster in order to uh, defeat this monster. Oh, man. What I tell you? We could stop this podcast right now. We could vote right now after the, the jewels you've been dropping. Fantastic so far. See, because the Undertaker um, understand, like, he he understands, he, he, like, embodies this idea of death and rebirth, death and rebirth, yes. death and rebirth. That's his whole gimmick. So now he can't just throw him off of the cage once. Right. He has to throw him off oh of the cage God. in the ring. Yes. Right? Because the monster has to defeat him in the square. He can't win by disqualification. He can't win by, you know, um, by, you know, by giving up or, or con concussion or anything like that. He has to win because, again, in order to identify good versus evil, he oh. has to beat him. In the square. Unbe this is I. I'm I'm genuinely sitting here staring at my notes, going, "Do I keep going with this episode? Should we vote right friggin' now?" But the truth is, this is this has been so entertaining and so fun to listen to you just go that we're going to move forward. But I want you to know, I'm prepared to vote right now. I'm prepared to give an induction speech right now based on what you've already said on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Okay, let's keep. Oh man, let's keep going forward. Okay. Burning questions. Next credential, next category is burning questions. These are the questions that we ask that we we don't have the answers to, and I want to pose them to you. Okay. Did the WWE know about this match? Did they know what was going to happen? I believe the party line has been no, but I've seen a number of references online that Terry Funk and Mick watched the Shawn Michaels match together. There's a quote from The Taker saying, mm -hmm. I wasn't on board really for throwing Mick off the cell. I mean, I knew where he was coming from, but I wasn't really sold on it. And as many times as I told Mick, I was like, Mick, we don't need that. I said, we can make this great. But he was dead set. And then we got Vince on board with him. And I was like, okay, I just want to go on record saying I'm not really comfortable with this. But obviously, mm -hmm. I wasn't the one getting thrown off the sale. Did the WWE slash F at the time, did they know what was going to happen here? I would have to say no. Um, and that's also to say that I'm they probably should have known. Right. But okay, so this match does not exist in a vacuum. Right. Um it was not the most technical wrestling match in creation. It just wasn't, right? Agreed. This was a brawl. Yes. But and that's also to say while this was probably the greatest hell in the sale, it was not the best. I love this. So that's different. Yes, right? 100%. So once you look at Shawn Michaels' work with The Undertaker, which Shawn Michaels is like probably on the Mount Rushmore of when it comes to workers, right? Right, right. So if you're, if, you're, if you're just thinking like pure workers, pure people who can get it done in the mm -hmm. ring, going to make you look like a million bucks. Rick Flair for all of his faults, yes. right? Yep. Bret Hart, uh, I mean, just for amazing. For sure. One of my favorite wrestlers ever. I got his, his statue over there. Uh, Ricky Steamboat, right? Love it. Uh, 
you know, all of these guys are guys who know how to make you look like a million bucks That's and right. also understand how to evoke and communicate emotion, you know, in the square right. circle. Right. So that the context in which this match happens is Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker have probably one of the knockdown, drag out best wrestling matches using with with the context of a sale ever. Yes. Right. Yep. Mick Foley in the guise of mankind sees this match. That's right. And he asks himself, he can't work like Shawn Michaels. Right. That he doesn't he just simply does not have the charisma, does not have the athletic ability, does not have the charm uh, of Shawn Michaels. He he cannot work like Shawn Michaels. Right. But what can Mick Foley do <laughs> that Shawn Michaels can't do? That's take it to the next level as yes. far as dramatics. Yep. So the tool that Mick Foley employs in this moment is to allow himself to be brutalized in order to evoke horror in us Ugh. and the storytelling feature that can, that allows it to... Because again, he's not going to be able to bump like Shawn Michaels. Right. <laughs> but what he does have is the ability to incorporate the hardcore aspect of his repertoire, right? Yes. So the first thing he does is he comes to the match with a chair. And he's <laughs> right beating, up on top. That's right. Right. He's beating the Undertaker. <laughs> so who are you cheering for? You are not cheering for the man who came to the match with a chair. <laughs> right? The man who comes to the match with a chair and he's like wailing on the Undertaker. You are cheering for the Undertaker because the Undertaker in that moment is an underdog. Oh, wow. Right. Mick Foley in that moment, 6'2", 287, he is the only person that is able to take this man who Undertaker is right, probably around 6'9", 6'10". You know, in boots, everybody wants to say he's about 7 feet tall. He's not 7 feet tall, but because, you know, we've seen him next week who is 7 feet tall. Right. <laughs> so he takes... Um, this power away from Undertaker of being like the like Mick Foley, he, he, and this is the only way that he's able to do it. Right, right. He brutalizes this man on top of the cage for like 30, 40 seconds, and then we see this thing turn and click in the Undertaker, where he sees that if he's going to be able to defeat him, he has to you know take it to another level. Right. Okay? So those context of us Ugh. seeing the technicality of the Shawn Michaels match and the brutality, right of the Mankind match are where these things differ. So all that to say, they don't know, but he also can't say, right? Because in the interview, Mick Foley says, um, uh, Vince McMahon asked him, uh, have you been on top before? Right. On top and of the cage. He, on top of the cage. That's right. Right. And Mick Foley says, sure. Yes. <laughs> and then, you know, he, you know, Mick Foley then goes on to confess, um, not only have I not been on top of the cage, but I have a fear of heights. Right. So this man is a psychopath, yeah. <laughs> right? Because he's doing things that he's like, he's admittedly lying to Vince right. McMahon, right? He is bending truth They're right. in order to come to right. a place of arrival. Because again, in his understanding, he has to find a way to differentiate. Right. If he's going to make this match the greatest hell in the film, right. not the best. Right. He has to find a way to differentiate, oh and this is the way that he does. Oh, my God. Before we move on to the next credential, Pastor, who is the greatest wrestler of all time and why? Oh. This doesn't okay. necessarily have to be your favorite. I'm not asking for your favorite. I'm asking for who is the greatest wrestler of all time and why. It's either for me, it's Bret Hart or Daniel Bryan. 
Wow. Yeah. Let me let me like, let me put yeah. in a word for Bret Hart. The excellence of execution. of execution. I mean, Solomon. That the the I want the moment someone thought of that name, they must have mm-hmm. been like, "Oh shit!" Like mm-hmm. I I obsess about those moments. Like, for example, like everybody's seen the moment where Jay Z hears "Dirt Off Your Shoulders" for the first time, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Bobby," that like moment where you see him go, "Oh shit!" It's right here. Like mm-hmm. this is it. This is a hit. This is a banger. Like I've got it right now. The second someone thought of the excellence of execution. The whole room must have just been like, fuck, what do we do? Mm-hmm. That's it. Daniel Bryan versus the excellence of execution. Now, I'm not I'm not saying Bret Hart is, is my greatest wrestler of all time. Right. But I am saying I think a name like that could put him over the top. Well, th- think about it in context of what Bret Hart does. Yes. Um. Again, Bret Hart is like this Canadian guy. He's not particularly tall. He's right. not the biggest. Right. right? But he makes his specialty in being like just really good, right? A technician. At everything that he like, yes. he's like his technician, right? So, <laughs> what people forget is, if there is no Bret Hart, there is no Stone Cold Steve Austin. Agreed, right? Because as these two people are having like this match. Stone Cold Steve Austin is in sharpshooter. He passes out, right? Because again, and and it, it effectively goes into the narrative of him being the toughest, you know, toughest on the gun, you know, in the world, right? Because right. he would rather pass out than it than he would to tap out, right? Right. Um, but Brett bumps for this man like all over the place. Like Brett makes you feel as if you're coming right to the edge of defeat and he finds a way to bring it out. And he does all of this in pink pants. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's exactly right. He does all of this in pink pants. <laughs> for the, and he has other grown men desiring to wear pink pants. That's it. Like, <sighs> I want to get a pink Bret Hart, the Hitman t-shirt yes. because Bret the Hitman Hart made it like, okay. That's right. For dudes uh. in the 80s, 80s, early 90s to wear pink pants and come from the Hart Foundation. He blessed the whole color. Yeah. Good for him. The next credential, you're so good at this, Solomon. I'm I so appreciate you doing this podcast. The next credential is our eye test. What did you see in this moment? What did you see in the match that adds to it that may may not be the thing that people remember? All right. So they did something and they did not know that they did it. But image and appearance is everything when it comes to wrestling, when yes. it comes to presentation. Yes. All right. So after Taker throws Mick off the first time, right. the 22 feet, yes. right? Yep. They are, he's, he goes through the table. Yep. He's laying on the ground. Uh, Terry Funk is checking on him. They're concerned about him. In order to get the stretcher over by the table, they have to lift up the sail. Yes. Taker is still on top of the <laughs> sail. <laughs> That's Again. right. Why is the cage raising? Do they realize the Undertaker is still on top of the cage? They're raising the cage. Once you associate these things with like mythology, you're seeing this as the hero rising. Yes, and he's he's like um, surveying <laughs> right the, the damage the yes of this monster. Yes, and he they keep on lifting him. Yes, and the taker can't go anywhere. He just has to stay on top of it or whatever. But he's just standing <laughs> there looking over. Like that is a totally amazing optic. 
that took it to another level for me. A fantastic answer. Uh, I also love how they, and I, I presume that they still do. I don't watch as much wrestling anymore, but I love that they would always have guys ringside in like full on 1980s tuxedos, like bow ties, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, cummerbunds. Mm-hmm. It looks stately. Like it's very official. Everyone's dressed to the nines. The idea of it being sanctioned and we're dressed for. Yes, sanctioned. Yeah. Out, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're exactly right. It's been sanctioned. That's right. That's right. <laughs> what a funny ad. <laughs> you should be hosting this entire show. No. You should. <laughs> Oh, my God. Uh, And then the last one, the tooth. We have not yet discussed this. Now, I had the privilege of working with Mick Foley once. And at lunch one day, like six dudes (laughs) are eating lunch with Mick Foley, and we built up the courage to ask him the question that literally 15, 16 million people have asked him before us about the Hell in a Cell match. And we Mm -hmm. asked him about the tooth, like, what happened? And I remember him telling us that, it was the chair that fell on top after Taker slams him through the gate. The chair falling and smashing him in the mouth is what busted out his tooth and made him lose consciousness. Wow. The chair hits him in the face, busts a tooth out through his lip, and mm-hmm. gets lodged up in his nose. Here's a quote from Undertaker about it. I remember punching him, trying to talk some sense into him, but also being just just distracted by this huge what I thought was a <laughs> what I thought was a booger in his nose come to find out that it was one of his incisors that it went through his lip and ended up in his nose of course now Mick has a tooth in his nose and is up against the turnbuckle and Mick told us again this at lunch saying I could he was like I could feel something was wrong with my face so I start I start tonguing my face to like feel what's the problem I stick my tongue through the hole in my lip that has been put there by the tooth firing through my face and up into my nose I stick my tongue through that hole and it gets caught on camera and of course the announcers do a fantastic job of turning that into this moment where Mick Foley is a lunatic. Here's that. Mm-hmm. Oh my. Oh. And he's smiling. Uh-oh. He is smiling. Give me your thoughts on the tooth, the hole in his face. Give me your thoughts, Solomon. There are some things that have, like, if, you, if you've been in a fight, like, there are some things that will stop you from wanting to fight. Right. Having a tooth in your nose is one of those things. <laughs> right. Once a tooth is in your nose, the fight is over. Like, it's... Whatever, whatever we disagreed on, it, let's stop. It's a tooth in my nose. That's not how. That's not how fights are supposed to go. We need to end at the point in which teeth are in noses. Teeth don't go in noses, right? That's just like not where they belong. That is not their placement. That's not their purpose. You can't chew out of your nose. Like once, once body parts start getting in orifices that they are not intended for, that's when we need to end the fighting. Like, the battle has been... It don't even matter who won. We both lose. That's right. Because I have a tooth in my nose. You put my tooth in my nose. Like, you can go tell your kids or your grandkids about that, which is fine, but we both lose because there's a tooth in my nose. Like, there's a uh, a genetic disorder where people, like, make too many teeth, mm-hmm. and you, like, have teeth all in mm-hmm. your mouth. Mm-hmm. But there's no genetic disorder where a tooth is in your nose. 
this should stop things. <laughs> like the WWE should, I mean, WWF at the time should like E. You'll see. Should say no. We are not stop. It's a two deal. No. Oh my god. Right? But he's so committed to character, right? And if you are a monster, what is one of the things that is associated with being a monster? Disfiguration. Right. Right. Being disfigured. Right. Right. right? Being broken. Ugh. Bearing brokenness before others. Right. right? Looking at gore. Right. So these, all of these dysfunctions and these features of, of being a monster, like he's bearing it before all of us. He's allowing all of us to witness him being broken as a monster. In the medium, he's using everything as it happens. So he has a broken shoulder. Use it. His tooth is already in his nose. <laughs> you see it. Use it. Ugh. Now, granted, I am not a person who likes death matches? I don't like it. I don't. I just think it's uh, it's gratuitous. Mm, it's gratuitous. That's a good mm, word, mm-hmm. right? But in that moment of gratuity, he says, "I'm going to choose to use this disfiguration, me being broken before the Congress of People, to tell the story about how monsters are defeated." Oh my God! Yeah. Yeah, you. I'm not. Jo- the masterful storyteller. Listen, you. You know who's the masterful storyteller? You, sir. Mm-hmm. You. I'm not kidding. I'm predicting this right now on the show. Uh, Solomon, Missouri, will have a book deal. It will be a fantastic book. I will buy it. I will promote it. <laughs> Every time I'm like I'm like in the heat of battle with you right now. I'm very competitive. I'm like going. I need to load something up here and fight back. This guy's taking the show. Mm-hmm. No. And so I'm like loading up a thing. I'm like loading up a thing. And I'm like, oh yeah, Salman, watch this. And I like come in with a tiny little point, and then you take it and draw it out into this big, beautiful, lovely, articulate, well thought out, like thoughtful thing. And I'm going, why am I even here? Well, wrestling at its best is like the Iliad. Uh, so here we go again. It's 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 storytelling at its highest form. Uh, and so when you when we watch matches, uh, the ones that are most compelling are not the ones that are most athletic. They're the ones that are most evocative, right? So the, the idea, the purpose, like, you know, when people talk about um, getting butts in seats and, and um, drawing money, right? Right, right. Um, they're talking about the, I, okay, so think about like back in um, the 80s and uh, um, like the, the territories. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, so I grew up, and my grandmother was a huge wrestling fan. A fantastic, right? a fantastic uh, detail. She was a Pentecostal preacher. Ugh. She was a huge wrestling fan. Every like Saturday morning and Friday evening, we had uh, like um, antenna, mm. and we were able to watch like Tennessee mm-hmm. and Florida mm-hmm. and Georgia wrestling. And you know, Georgia wrestling became WCW. Mm-hmm. So we were like, I was a Bill Watts fan when it come when it came to wrestling. Um, we didn't know at that time it was fake. We were, as right. you know, people say we were not smartened up, right? <laughs> but these guys were able to tell these amazing stories. Mm. It was not just fighting, mm. because at that time, I mean, you know, you would have guys maybe like the Patriot who would do, you know, some amazing athletic moves or whatever. But for the most part, what is Dusty Rose elbow? <laughs> it's nothing, right? Right? Or what is um, the, you know, uh, the figure four? It's, uh, you know, it's hugging with your legs. <laughs> you know, these, these are not 
uh, you know, serious move. Right. And, and please, if, if anybody who's actually a worker, please don't get me. So, <laughs> um, but effectively what they're doing is they're taking these, um, these approaches, these positions, uh, these gestures, and they are communicating the depth of human emotion. Right. They're Ugh. communicating betrayal. They're communicating disappointment. They're uh, communicating sorrow. They're communicating anxiety. They're communicating friendship. Right. They're communicating failure. Right. right. With these, like in this ring. Yes. And they don't have words because they're not using their words. Right. All they have is their bodies right. to tell a story. Right. And so um, Mick Foley comes to the zenith of this profession when he uses literally his blood, mm. his teeth, mm. his bones, oh his body, God. and he's broken before us. Uh. And how many people allow you to see them broke? I mean, it's a moment of uh. authenticity, transparency, like weakness, vulnerability. He's communicating brokenness as a human condition. And his name is mankind. Uh. You're, uh... You're winning, Solomon. Is that what you want to hear? You're winning this podcast. We have to move on to the next category. Okay. The next credential is our ear test. What did you hear in this match that made it special? I want to pitch you one. Go ahead. You mentioned it early on. The sounds of zip ties popping as these gentlemen walk around on top of the cage. We're going to play some now. There's over there's two, 300 pounders up there. The ping, ting, ting, zing, bing. You can hear the zip ties that are keeping this chain link fence on top of this cage. You can hear them popping and snapping. You can see the zip ties scattered around on the mat as Mick is laying there. This That sound of those zip ties is something that once you hear it, you'll never not hear it because it is absolutely unique and special to this match. And it makes this moment special i will go one better because that adds to <laughs> again the anxiety of right. the match right but if we really want to talk about like the sonics of the match one thing that is perennially overlooked when it comes to wrestling matches is the announcer uh, i mean here yeah you're so, exactly right keep going we <laughs> When Mick Foley is thrown off of the cage, you hear one of the greatest announcers, probably the best announcer in the history of sports entertainment, uh, professional wrestling. I mean, he just has a visceral, guttural reaction of, by God, right? That's right. And Jim Ross communicates what he's seeing mm -hmm. and experiencing and feeling from such a place of uh, shock, mm -hmm. awe, fear, mm -hmm. panic, like excitement, like mm -hmm. all of those things are going through uh, the minds of the audience, but they're embodied in the in the voice of Jim Ross, where we are allowed to drama feel right drama yes we're allowed to feel bad for this monster yep oh my god you're you i read something that i really loved in in prepping for this jr said that that call had a pulse 
It mm-hmm. was real. He didn't know what was going to happen. And so that call had a pulse. It was real. It was living. And you're absolutely right. A fantastic call. You, you, I, I mean, for me, if I picture Mick getting thrown off of that cage at the top of the, at the top of the match, I can't not then not hear JR's call in my head. Right. There's one more moment worth discussing. There is a moment in the rest of the matches is after Mick's been knocked out. He comes back, comes to his battling taker for the rest of the match. There's a moment where Taker dives over the top rope and slams his own body like Mick steps out of the way and Taker slams his own body into the cage. There's a moment ringside where you can hear a fan yell, you're ruining the cage, man. And found nothing but to steal that time. Mm-hmm. And I think that just hearing that, that one fan who's getting in that one good solid joke, play it again here, Rob. And found nothing but to steal that time. I feel like that really adds to my enjoyment is hearing that guy go, you ruined in the cage, man. I love it. Well, because this, he's actually entering into and conceptualizing the cell as a world. Right. And so <laughs> like it's, it's, it's reminiscent to like Goku uh, fighting Frieza on earth. <laughs> oh, and like no. you're, you're seeing <laughs> The destruction that they are ensuing upon, like the earth, mountains are being destroyed, like seas and rivers, all that kind of good stuff, whatever. And so as he is looking at the sail from, uh, remember, like from the top. Yes. They are, they're already destroyed the top of it. Right, right. right. Uh, you know, they've stepped on it. They're, uh, the sail is starting to come apart at the top. They are destroying their world. Right. They're throwing each other oh into it. God. They're breaking it, Right. And so this this tiny place this is this 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 cell is their entire world. Ugh. They are literally rip these two monsters are ripping their world apart and we're witnessing it. And so he's saying you're tearing up the cage man, you're tearing up the world. <laughs> yeah. I I I'm, you are a special guy. You really, truly and sincerely you are. The next credential is the MVP. What's the most valuable part of this moment? So the the the, uh, the match is the moment. What's the MVP? What's the most valuable part of this moment? That question is for you, Pastor Solomon Missouri. When he goes back and when he when they're taking him back on the stretcher, they stop the stretcher. He gets back up. That's the most That's, valuable point yeah. of this message of this of this match easily. And you spoke to as to why earlier. It's fantastic. Yeah. You're absolutely right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Next credential is the X factor. Is there something else? What else is here? What else is in this moment that just puts it over the top? I want to pitch you one. Terry Funk. Oh, yeah. There is a mo- Terry Funk, great wrestler himself, is obviously ringside to check on Mick. When, when Terry Funk shows up, when a wrestler shows up who's not a part of the match, you know something's gone awry. When Taker slams Mick, through the cage, lands on the mat. Terry comes back in. Taker drops down from the ceiling. They're both in the ring. The, the, the store, as the story goes, as Terry walks up to Taker, Taker asks him, check and see if he's still alive. Terry checks on him, goes back to Taker and says, he's still breathing. At which point, the Undertaker starts beating up Terry Funk. <laughs> He ends up joke slamming Terry Funk. And why? Let Mick Foley tell you. 1998, we didn't stop matches. We bought 
time. And that's what Terry and The Undertaker were attempting to do, attempting to buy me time. Taker starts destroying Terry Funk to buy Mick Foley time to gather himself. That is a fantastic note to add here that these two men are trying to buy Mick time to get himself together. That's, in this very strange way, that's a loving gesture to go, this guy needs a moment. What can we do to continue to entertain the fans and give this guy a moment to collect himself and get back up? One of the ways that um, wrestlers communicate generosity is not only, um, you know, taking the moves, but also finding ways within their match to create time for uh, recuperation. Mm. Um, but then I looked at the presence of Terry Funk at home mm. and what his presence at ringside actually does. He serves as almost an a herald that certifies the authenticity of this match. Mm. Terry Funk is this person, is this wrestler who is known globally for putting his body, his blood, and his bones on the line, mm, right? Mm. And so given his body of work, given uh, his history and his career, mm. he's at the side of the ring. He's at ringside to bear witness oh. to the brutality oh. of this moment, right? Oh. <laughs> Terry Funk gives validation to just how cruel, how awful this match is. He's he he's the godfather of these type of matches, right? Hardcore he's legend. the godfather of of this type of violence, mm, right? Mm. Uh, and so he gives a credibility Ugh. that no other person right. on earth can give to that oh moment. I think Terry Terry Funk's presence at ringside, which some people again kind of you know play down but his presence at ringside is probably one of those x, x factors and if terry funk's not at ringside how does mick foley buy more time for himself another thing i want to add in terms of x factor there, there's actually two more things one there is a clip it's not in the match but there's a clip from a camera at the side of the ring that shows all the referees who have gathered as Mick Foley is thrown through the cage and lands and the chair bangs him in the face, firing a two through his lip and into his nose, there is a moment where the referees see that. Some of the referees do that thing where you like jump and turn away because you just don't want to see it and you're like so horrified. So others, there's one ref that goes into full surrender cobra. Do you know what a surrender cobra is, Solomon? Mm -mm. When you do that thing where you put your hand up, you put your hands oh, okay. up on the side of your yeah. head and you have that like cobra hood where you're like, oh my God, I can't believe it. He goes, full surrender, Cobra. If you haven't seen the clip, it's on our Instagram, at first ballot, H-O-F. It's It just, you can see it's real. You can see these guys are like, oh my God. Like, just really viscerally reacting to this moment. That's an X factor for me. And then the last one is, there's a sound bite from Mick Foley. Let's listen to it here. I believe that if I had gone up in a way that I usually did for choke slams, that would afford me the safest landing on a mat inside a ring that I would have uh, over-rotated and landed high on my shoulders and likely never wrestled again. He, he is telling us if he was not tired from being thrown 22 feet, from, from taking chair shots, from going through the rest of the match, if I'm not tired, I over-rotate and maybe I'm dead. 
How about mm-hmm. that for an X factor? Mm-hmm. Well, one, <laughs> I'm thankful that Mick Foley is still alive. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, this is coming from a place and a space where Mick Foley was taking chair shots, not with the hand, not with this deal, just to the head. Right. From people who are world renowned for their strength. Strength, right. Like, I, this is Famous not Solomon Missouri who works out maybe three times a week in the gym, <laughs> you know, giving you a, a chair shot. This is from people who have played football professionally, <laughs> from people who have, who are just like the toughest sons of guns in. Uh, the world, and they play pretend, right? But they're hitting right. these people with chairs, right? And they're leaving indentations in the chair. His entire body has been broken, brutalized, and um, and, and like damaged from um, from all of these shots. And it just speaks to the to the idea of the competency of being able to take pain. Mm. What do we say? What what does he bring to um the wrestling sphere they're body guys yes, right they're guys yes. who who are known for their physique um paul orndorff uh you know hulk hogan the rock uh triple h um you know this goes on and on and on guys who are just like known for their physique right? right there are guys who are known for you know for for being characters um william regal mm-hmm. i mean just you know uh you know guys who are just known for for doing characterization like bray wyatt all that kind of stuff or whatever not body guys they're workers in the ring not particularly big not particularly like physique cut or whatever but then they're just guys who can take pain mm-hmm. and know how to bear it, it's not that it doesn't hurt it hurts they just know how to take it and how that is used to envelop store and they don't take it and pop right back up right they take pain and they allow us to see them in their woundedness right and how many times do we see people who just try to walk it off and mick foley is right. not one of those people he just says no fantastic i'm gonna take this pain. fantastic yeah. I, I can't walk it off <clears throat> do you have a favorite finishing move Oh, favorite finishing move. Um, I mean, there's finishing moves that like make me pop more than others. Like um, the Falcon Arrow, I like. Um, <laughs> Blue Thunder Bomb, I like. Um, Sami Zayn's Hell of a Kick, I like. Um, I like. Uh, I mean, everybody likes a power bomb. Um, it's just conceptual, uh, visually, it's just you know, <laughs> yes, like amazing. Um, I like the the curb stomp. Um, <laughs> These are just great sentences to hear too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, just because <laughs> you don't get to say them like in, in the right. comments of any other place. That's right. Um, probably my. Man, come on. Stone Cold Stunner. There it is. Great answer. Stone Cold Stunner. That's my favorite finishing move. It is. And my, and my favorite person taking it will always be Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He's so, he like the way he pops up off of it. Mm-hmm, but yes. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Uh, it's a great answer. It's not It's it's not my answer. My answer is The Rude Awakening by Ravishing Rick Rude. We'll oh keep it moving. God. <laughs> we'll keep it moving. The next category, the next credential is The Test of Time. This is comparing this moment against other moments like it in history. 2020 Hell in the Cell, Drew McIntyre, Randy Orton. 2018 Rollins and Ziggler. 2017 Shane McMahon and Kevin Owens. 
Owens gets slammed in the cage, falls off. Shane jumps off for the second time because in Mania 32 in 2016, Shane and Taker have a Hell in the Cell match. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I believe strongly in both cases, Shane McMahon is trying to jump into his father's heart. Armageddon in 2000. Taker and Rikishi, this one is worth mentioning because uh, Taker choke slams Rikishi into a flatbed truck full of mulch. But the one I think we need to concentrate on is No Way Out in 2000. Triple H uses barbed wire against Cactus Jack. And then Mick sets up for a pile driver at the end of the match. But Triple H stands up, flips Cactus Jack, Mick Foley, over his head, through the fence. Very reminiscent of, of this Hell in the Cell match that we're talking about now. And at this time, Mick over-rotates to make sure his ass lands in the mat. Absolutely buries the match, just leaves a crater in the map. Phenomenal mm-hmm. visual effects and leaving a hole there. That's how the match ends. Do you remember that match? And what are your opinions on the 2000 No Way Out between Triple H, Cactus Jack? Um, I think that they were always chasing the dragon when right. it comes to yes. um, trying okay. to recapture that feel. Right. Yes. If there's an art to inflicting prescribed damage Mm. on another person. Mm. And when I say prescribed, that's, you know, I'm going to do this to you. Right. And you, and it's a dance because you're letting me do this to you. There's an art to that. Yes. And finding the way to do it in a measure of, I mean, there's no safe way to hit a man with a chair, right? Or there's no there, you know, there's no safe way to, you know, to 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 strike someone with a bat wrapped in barbed wire. Um, but there is an art form to doing it more safely, right? Right. Right. Um, and in chasing the dragon of Mick Foley versus the Undertaker in Hell in a Cell, um, I think that they always tried to find little communicative devices mm. for damage, punishment, and pain. Mm. Um, you know, barbed wire, mulch trucks, so forth and so on, uh, <laughs> are, are always like little, are, are different devices to try to tell right. the same story. Right. But watch this. It's not the tool. It's who's holding it. Right. And Mick Foley is such a master at being able to communicate damage, brokenness, right? Um, that he allows his body to be a canvas for others to do art. And I don't know if they matched that same feeling that we got from, because again, I don't think that I've ever seen anything like that. And I don't even know if I want to see anything like that again, but that's you know it's just like an artist having like a masterpiece but then having other paintings that are good but just not a masterpiece right right i, I think it kind of we, we kind of <laughs> chase that those are good but that feeling that i got from that first one i knew i was in the hands of a master next credential our voting committee the voting committee is a collection of voters experts even who are friends of the podcast and want to weigh in today we have the vote of andrew goldstein he's a personal friend of mine a great guy but more importantly He's a former WWE writer, a 30-year fan. He's a TV showrunner and one of the biggest wrestling fans I know. Let's hear what Andrew had to say. As God is my witness, he's broken in half. 
With those 10 words, Jim Ross, the iconic wrestling play-by-play announcer, solidified the 1998 Hell in a Cell match as a surefire first ballot Hall of Fame entry. Dare I say, that call is right up there with, do you believe in miracles? It's that iconic. So just on the level of the play-by-play commentary, that match deserves entry into the first ballot Hall of Fame. But then you get to the actual match. And when Mick Foley flies off the top of that Hell in a Cell cage, he becomes Rocky, right? Every fiber of your being watching that match from that point on begins to root for him to get back up. Very few times in wrestling, and dare I say, never on this level, has the line between what is real and what is predetermined been more gray than when that sack of shit, Mick Foley, flies off the top of the cage. In that moment, we had no idea. Crystallize that feeling, that uncertainty, and that's what makes that match special. Mm-hmm. And, and listen, you, you mentioned a lot of that. You mentioned... JR's call, but that uncertainty is something that it is, it is, you can feel it. You can feel it watching it even now. And you know, he's fine. Just, Mm -hmm. there's just a way that moment transpires the people that run in the scene that's created the energy from the announcers. It does create a, like a, what is going on? That is just, you don't really see it in much of anything. special. and this is interesting because we talk about, the body as a canvas for art mm. and the cost of sacrifice. Like what are the tools? What What's the paint then? So the paint is the brutality that the body endures. Right. But then when we say he's fine, is he? Right. Um, because trauma enacted in the body, even though he's able to walk, right. Um, he still suffers in right. his body so right. he's had hip replacements like knee replacements right. you know things happen back so forth and so on right so is he fine um and we are allowed to see this man who is you know has had like all types of reconstructive surgeries uh you know on his face i mean he literally walks around sometimes with no teeth in his mouth mm-hmm. because he has used them as a sacrifice mm. to the altar of that art oh my god <laughs> So he gives up something, right. right? He 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 doesn't walk with the same gait That's right. that he had before. He sacrifices it. He sacrificed it to the altar of that art. Oh my god. You've completely changed how I see. Th- th- that's what I can't I I I'm I feel certain that if you're listening to this podcast right now, you feel the same way I do. Solomon Missouri, you have changed the way I see this moment. I don't know. I, I'm not certain I'll ever say that again. You have changed the way I see this moment. Thank you for doing the show. The next category is devil's advocate. I'm we're not going to we're not going to have a devil's advocate today because one, talking to a pastor, and two, I refuse to say anything bad about this moment. We're moving on to the cosine. The cosine is where you, Solomon Missouri, have to answer the question. Do you co-sign this moment? Why should this be in the first ballot Hall of Fame? And and now you can tell. The first ballot Hall of Fame is serious. This is serious. Should Mick Foley and Undertaker's match, 1988, 1998 rather, Hell in the Cell, should it make the first ballot Hall of Fame and why? Absolutely. And because we've never seen a spectacle like that before. 
And I don't think we ever will again. I don't think we ever should again. I don't think that anyone should give that right. again. Right. Oh, my God. It's time for the induction speech. The induction speech is when I, Neil, decide whether this moment goes into the first Hall of Fame. I, I'm completely imbued by everything our guest, Pastor Solomon Missouri, has said, including what you've just left me with. I've struggled with the decision as to whether reward something that was very clearly dangerous. Those two men risked Mick Foley's life. He is a father. And the two of them could have irreparably damaged the WWE as a company. By God. Vince Russo, WWF slash E Booker turned podcaster, said on his Nuclear Heat podcast that Mick turned Vince McMahon backstage and asked him in reference to the classic Undertaker Shawn Michaels match. He asked Vince, Vince, was the match better than Shawn's? We're talking about a man with a tooth in his mouth, a hole in his lip, a dislocated shoulder thumbtacks in his back and his feet and that's what he's asking Vince I think some people whether right or wrong are willing to give of themselves for something greater mm. Mick Foley in his own words on Stone Cold Show Broken Skull Sessions Taker looks at me and says Jack what you and I did that night will outlive us both people will be talking about that match long after you and I are gone and then I realized, wait a second, like, I wanted to make people feel the way that I felt the night that I saw Snuka come off the top of that cage. And I've done it. You did it, Mick. Mankind, Undertaker, Mick Foley, and Mark Calloway, Hell in a Cell, 1998. Welcome to the First Ballot Hall of Fame. Yay. Solomon, you were absolutely fantastic on the show. I cannot thank you enough for doing it. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. What what can we plug? What how can how can people follow you? Um, I am all across the internet, uh, Solomon, Missouri. So if you search for me, I think that I will pop up. That's it. That's the show. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to WWE. Watch their Hell in a Cell documentary on YouTube, WWE Untold. Thanks again to Solomon, Missouri. Credits. First Ballad is edited by Rob Babarucci. Produced by Jessica Sang. Music by Rhythm J. Follow him on social at Rhythm J. Rate and review the show. Please come back next week for more First Ballad.